If you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we open the Word of God, I know you were just seated, but we're going to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word together. Now, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 28, but what I want us to look at to set the stage for this is the first four verses in the text, beginning with verse 1, because Paul is presenting an argument that lays a foundation for what we're going to look at later in the text. He says, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it, and I've taken your stand on it. The word gospel means good news. And he says, I want you to take your stand on that good news. He says, you are also saved by it. Well, that sounds like it's pretty important. If you hold the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe to no purpose, For I passed on to you as most important what I received. And here's that gospel, church, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, as as Scriptures had foretold that Messiah would. And he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the Easter message And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that we serve a risen Savior. We thank you that through your Spirit you are in this world today, even raising us to life spiritually, so that one day we might live forever in your presence. Lord, I pray that if there's one here under the sound of my voice that does not know you personally, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would put their trust in the resurrected Lord, that we would all find our identity in the Christ who was crucified and resurrected for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We've been in a series titled Passion and Power. Passion, looking at our identity in the death of Christ. Power, looking at our identity in the resurrection of Christ, finding our identity in the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So we're continuing that series today, but we're looking at this chapter today that clarifies something for us. So I titled the message, Fake News or Good News? Is it fake news or is it good news? Now, that word or those two words, fake news, have certainly been in the media a lot lately, have they not? Uh, It's not a new thing, by the way. The whole idea of fake news goes all the way back at least to the Middle Ages, the medieval period, as far as we know, and I'm sure it goes back all the way back to creation, if you trace it back to the devil's lives, to Adam and Eve. But fake news was something back in the Dark Ages that Folks discovered as at that time, news began to travel by word of mouth a little bit faster. And someone might want to sabotage somebody else's aspirations. And so they could say something that wasn't true and hope that by the time the truth, you know, they didn't have uh, internet where news traveled fast and everything on the internet's true, right? They didn't have that back then. They didn't have a telegraph or telephone. Almost said tell a woman, but that would have got me in trouble with my wife. 
uh, but they didn't have a way to gossip and, and, or, or get it around as fast maybe as we do today, but, but they could start a story. There were even stories of how different religious groups would have other people and other religious groups persecuted and sometimes killed by spreading lies, knowing that by the time the truth was found out, that it would be too late. And in today's world, people will use exaggeration, or sometimes that's another way of just telling lies, but they will tell stories about someone maybe politically or in another arena of life to cause people to doubt, to cause people to have questions and hope that by the time the truth is discovered that they will have already sabotaged their opponents. There's also, uh, today, if you look up the definition of fake news, it sometimes refers to parodies that used to be on TV. It might be the news episode on Saturday Night Live or something like that back in the 80s and 90s. Or thanks to the internet, there are parody websites And some of you still haven't figured that out yet. How do I know? Because sometimes you respond all upset about things that are posted on Facebook or Instagram or on the Internet, and you're like, I can't believe that this is happening, and you don't realize you're sharing a parody website, which is sharing a fake news story. And so those will be plentiful today, trust me, being April the 1st. Well, when we talk about passion and power and finding our identity in a crucified, resurrected Lord, the enemy, the devil himself, would love to rip the foundation out from under us. Why? Because of those things that we've looked at in the past month. Paul's saying in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Or Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul's writing the church at Ephesus and saying, because our identity is in Christ, we have passed from death unto life, and we're now citizens of the saints. He would like to rip that out from under us by saying it's all built on fake news. When we looked at Romans chapter 6 and saw that it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do and be what God has called us to do and who he has called us to be, if the enemy could say that's impossible, it's all fake news, it's based on a lie, then he could rob us of what God has in store for us. And Luke 9, as we talked about dying to live and taking up our cross daily, why, that would never be worth it if it was all based on a lie. All of this, everything that we've discussed, everything that we're about as a church in building Christ followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, everything would be in vain if, if, This gospel is fake news instead of good news. But I'm telling you, church, this morning, and and I realize that it's April Fool's, and I'm sure the atheists will have a lot uh, of fun with that one today. But the Word of God has said for many, many years in Psalm 14 and verse 1, it's actually the fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. And you know, some will point out that the literal translation in the Hebrew there is that the fool says in his heart, no God. I think it's rightly translated that he's saying that God does not exist, but what they may actually be saying when they say there is no God is, "I I really don't care if there's a God or not, I'm going to say no to that God 
if there is a God. French philosopher, famous mathematician, Blaise Pascal, demonstrated to us that not only does God speak through a, a general revelation areas like creation and the stars and things like that as we, we see the handiwork of God, but even the fields of philosophy and mathematics demonstrate to us that our wager should be on the fact that there is a God. Blaise Pascal, he came up with what was known as Pascal's wager, and I'm not going to go through the whole uh, premise that he lays out philosophically for us this morning, but let me summarize it by saying this. He basically says that even the agnostic must come to a place where he concludes that your best bet is that there is a God that created all of this. He says, if we bet on God, that there is a God and that we need to respond to him, then we have infinite things to gain, things that last forever, eternal life, heaven, and all of the glories and experiences of God in this life. But if we bet against God, then we only have a finite amount of pleasures, and the Bible rightly describes those pleasures as only lasting for a season and then leading us to a place of destruction, but then we have infinity, eternity separated from God. Now, I don't want to base my theology on Pascal's wager, but he certainly makes us think about things. He certainly makes us say, I better check this thing out. I better get some answers. And Paul, in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and for time's sake, we don't have time to go through all of the chapter this morning, but he begins to convince these Christ followers that they don't have to believe the lies of those who would say that this resurrection was not true, that the resurrection of Christ was not literal, and so he teaches them a couple of things this morning that I want us to take home with us, that I want us to think about not only the rest of this day, but as we plan the rest of our lives that we would understand these two truths. First of all, Paul would convince them that your faith is based on the reality of Christ's resurrection. Your faith is not in vain. Your faith is not empty because it is based on the reality of Christ's resurrection. Look in verses 12 through 19 now. He says, now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you, evidently some were attacking the uh, literal resurrection, he said, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is without foundation. We're preaching in vain. Your faith is built on something real, however, he says, and so is your faith. It's without foundation if Christ has not been raised. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified about God that he, is ra he has raised or he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have placed our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. 
He is saying that, listen, if you're just following Christ because it's a good way of life, but he didn't literally rise from the, the dead, his body was not literally raised to life, then you have no hope of a future resurrection either. And, and following him for what it has to offer in this life only, he says, you would be of all men most miserable. Many had obviously in the first century and today rejected the Christian faith altogether. But others were only rejecting the necessity of a literal bodily resurrection. Today, it may be that you interact on a regular basis with those who would consider themselves an atheist or maybe they belong to another religion. They would say that Jesus Christ is not the sinless Son of God who died for the sins of the world and bodily rose again. There are others, however, who would say, well, listen, Jesus is, he models a good way of life for us. There's a religious existentialism that says, you know what, it's kind of a pragmatism. It it works, the Christian life works, it makes us better people, it helps us all get along, it helps the world work better, so it really doesn't matter at all. I read a debate even online this week, it really doesn't matter at all if Jesus literally and bodily rose from the dead. All that matters is that we learn that we can live a better life by his great example for us. After all, it's the Spirit of Christ, small s, not the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that we need to glean from. Now, the latter would say we still need to embrace a Christian ethic. As I read this article this week, it said we should still help the poor, even that this person, as he argued, even though Jesus didn't literally bodily rise from the dead, he argued that we should still help the poor, We shouldn't kill or steal. We should be kind one to another. We should love our neighbor. And so we've got so much to learn from Jesus Christ, even though this person rejected the literal resurrection. My question with that is simply this. If the Bible is wrong when it says that Jesus rose from the dead, then why should I believe the Bible when it says I should love my neighbor as myself? If the Bible is wrong when it says that Jesus rose from the dead, why should I say it's noble for me to feed the hungry? Why should I embrace a Christian ethic if the Christ who established that ethic is dead and gone and there are no eternal consequences whatsoever? Paul says if we have this life only, if Christ did not rise from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. We are still in our sins, and the cross could have done nothing about it apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul had listed evidences in this chapter. In previous verses, he had named eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And these eyewitnesses Though, as we heard this morning with Pastor Terry's sunrise message, these eyewitnesses had been cowering and hiding in fear for their lives. They were not bold world changers until they encountered the resurrected Christ. But after they met Jesus, after they were commissioned by the risen Savior, after the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and filled these Christ followers, these men who were hiding in fear for their lives, turned the world upside down and were willing to die for their faith. Now, people have been known to die for a lie, but they've never been willing to die for what they know to be a lie. 
Somebody might give their life because of fake news, but they would not give their life for something they knew to be fake news. These men did the unexplainable. They were called those who had turned the world upside down, unschooled, ordinary men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. And if it had not been but for time with the resurrected Christ, they would have never been able to do what they accomplished. I've recommended many times over the years the book's Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell as he set out as a lawyer to refute the claims of Christ and saying they wouldn't hold water in the court of law and in his studies of the evidence he came to faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe Lee Strobel, who was uh, an award-winning journalist, investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, set out to show that investigative journalism will provide the evidence that Christ is indeed dead and not alive. But in his research, he came to the conclusion that all the evidence supports that Christ did come, live, die, and rise again. And Lee Strobel became a believer that many learn from today, Christian apologetics and how to defend the faith. But I'll tell you what's better than their testimony. It's for you to do like the Apostle Paul and say, look at my testimony. Write your book. Write the story of your life. Talk about the evidence that's in you. What has Jesus done in your life? Some say, well, I'll tell you, even if all this is not real, man, I would still be a Christian. (laughs) Paul says, if it's not real, we would be of all men most miserable, most pitiable. And so write about the reality that God has done in your life. Tell your story to your children. Tell your story to your grandchildren. Share your story on social media and say, alert, this is not fake news. You can come and meet with me and talk with me about what Jesus has done in my life. We all have a story to tell, and so tell your story. Secondly, I think Paul wanted them to understand not only that their faith had this solid foundation, but he wanted them to understand that your future is given clarity through Christ's resurrection. How many of us even take time to think about our future anymore? Your future is given clarity through Christ's resurrection. And when I say your future, I'm talking about you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Look at this next section in your text. Begin with verse 20. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, speaking of physical death. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward at his coming, the people of Christ. Not everybody experiences a resurrection unto life, some resurrection unto judgment is to eternal separation from God. But those of us, the people of Christ, are resurrected to life everlasting in Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, when he abolishes all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For he has put everything under his feet. But when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception because Jesus was him very, in his 
very nature, the Son of the living God, God the Son. And when everything is subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. If Jesus Christ is going to be your everything in eternity, then he should be your everything today. And if he is your everything today, your future is given clarity through Christ's resurrection in this statement that because he lives, we too shall live. Because he lives forevermore and reigns, we too shall live and reign with him. We can have that confidence, we can have that clarity when we've put our faith and trust in Christ. That's why the last part of this chapter, verses 50 through 57, I read so often at funerals. When I know the person is a believer, this is our hope. Look down with me at these last verses. But brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed because this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility. This mortal must be clothed with immortality. Now when this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying is written, will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. We don't want to die because we don't want to be found in our sins, separated from God. And the power of sin is the law. That which tells me what is right shows me what I can't ever accomplish on my own. So what do we do about this? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the question I have for you this morning is are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, the crucified, resurrected Lord, you find your identity in the crucified, resurrected Lord, then your old man has died and you have come alive in him and you will live forever and ever with him regardless of what happens to your body. You know, Buddha died in somewhere around 500 A.D. In the next century, some bones of one of his fingers were given to a Chinese emperor in the Tang Dynasty at the time. And and those were put in in a compartment and hidden and preserved over many years. Some over 400 years ago, they couldn't find them. For some 400 years, they had been supposedly misplaced, and then a tower, a 400-year-old monument collapsed in 1981, and it unearthed in its collapse a chamber where Buddha's finger was stored. And since 1981, Buddhists have been traveling to a museum to see Buddha's finger. I want to see Buddha's finger. I've got news for you, church. You can't go anywhere to see the finger of the Lord Jesus Christ from a corpse. 
because his body was raised to life. There will be, I believe, the nail prints in his hands as he allowed his disciples and even doubting Thomas to touch and see and experience. But if you want to see the hand of God today, you have to see the hand of God at work in the lives of the people of God who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone hopefully will visit my grave one day. Well, hopefully the Lord will come back before I have a grave. That would be even better. But if the Lord doesn't return in my lifetime, someone will visit my grave. Someone will visit your grave one day. What will they say on that day? What will they say when they visit your grave? Will will they have confidence that you are in heaven with Jesus? Because you experienced that resurrected life this side of heaven You understood what John 10, 10 was talking about when Jesus said the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, a full and meaningful life. They'll know if you were living that life or not. Will they know that you're in eternity with Jesus? During the Vietnam War, a poem was found on a 19-year-old boy who had died, lost his life. No one knows the author of this poem, but I want you to listen as we close to these words. It's just titled, A Boy Meets God. A Boy Meets God. It says this, Look, God, I have never spoken to you, but now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me you did not exist. And like a fool, I believed all of this. Last night from a shell hole, I saw your sky. I figured right then they had told me a lie. Had I taken the time to see the things you made, I would know they weren't calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you would shake my hand. Somehow I feel that you will understand. Strange, I had come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. Well, I guess there isn't much more to say, but I'm sure glad, God, I met you today. I guess the zero hour will soon be here, but I am not afraid since I know you are near. The signal, well, God, I have to go. I love you lots. This I want you to know. Looks like this will be a horrible fight. Who knows? I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly with you before, I wonder, God, if you would wait at the door. Look, I am crying. Me, shedding tears. I wish I had known you these many years. Well, I will have to go now, God. Goodbye. Strange, since I met you, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not sure if this young man wrote this poem or had held on to it from an anonymous writer. I'm not sure if his theology was right. I'm not sure if he truly understood the gospel. But these words certainly make us think, Lord Jesus Christ, will return just as sure as he rose again. 
And, and why would we wait until he calls us home when we can have life and life more abundantly now? We can sing the resurrected Christ is resurrecting me. But until we turn from sin and self and put our faith and trust in Christ, believing that he died for our sins and rose from the grave, we can't have abundant life full and freed this side of heaven and we can't have eternal life in heaven. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Have you come through to the Father through the Son? Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed.